Hello and welcome to episode 2 of season 14 of Listener Questions, the longest running a Game of Thrones LCG podcast that has had over half of the UK Thrones War regents appear as guest hosts. I am your regular host, James Ormsley, and I am joined by this episode's guest host and UK Thrones War regent, Matt Herdman. Say hi, Matt. Hi, James. How's it going? It's going very well, thanks, Matt. I'm looking forward to tackling this for the second time. Yeah, hopefully. I've... The other episode we sort of recorded a few days after, whereas this one has been like two weeks, so I've kind of completely forgotten what I said first time. Yeah, so. yeah, the, it's just far enough away that I feel like I'm going to spend the entire time instead of like when we recorded, well, when we re-recorded the first episode, I spent the entire time feeling like, yep, yeah, okay, so now we're going to say this, and then we're going to say this, yeah. and then we're going to say this. This time I'm going to spend the entire episode thinking, oh yeah, we did say that, didn't we? Oh yeah, mm. we did say that. Yeah. So, yeah, hopefully it's going to be as much fun for the listeners as it is for us. Although, hopefully, it won't be as oddly reminiscent as something the listeners heard a week ago as it is yeah. for us. Um, although, that said, if the listeners do want to hear a similar episode to the one we're about to go uh, on a journey with, that would be episode 31, tackled a very similar topic to this. And I'm not going to say what that topic is just yet, even though you've probably seen it from the name of this episode, um, because I don't want to spoil the question. And this episode's question comes from Matt Slade, and it is, when should you Valor and expect your opponents to Valor? Uh, presumably meaning, when should you expect your opponents to Valor? Uh, so, Matt, when should you Valor and when should you expect your opponents to Valor? Pretty much at all points in the game, solidly. <laughs> Even if they've already Valored, yeah. they might play Bridge of Dreams. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, nothing. this is... I chose this question because I think, on average, it's probably the most important decision you make game to game. You know, like some games, there'll be obviously a slightly more important decision, but leveled out on all the games you played, when you Valor is probably the key decision you've made over all that time. Yeah, I'd completely agree with that. It's, of course, worth uh, specifying before we get too deep into this um, that when we say Valor, there are two Valors. There's a Valor Morgulis and there's a Valor Doheris. And I'd assume Matt means Morgulis, but there's no harm in answering both. Yeah, I think it's definitely worth worth answering both. You know, obviously your previous episode discussed all the resets in the game, but being realistic, these are Valor M and Valor D are the only ones that people play. They're certainly, when it comes to you know, character resets, they're by yeah. far the two most important. So I think, you know, why not just cover both? But... Yeah. My default would be Valor Mogulis when people say Valor, but... Yeah, I think, firstly, just because it's the one that came out first, so it got abbreviated to Valor. Yeah. Before we even knew there was a De Harris. Uh And secondly, because it just it's more impactful, I guess. Like, not that De Harris can't be impactful, and we'll go into that, but De Harris can leave your opponent with up to 10 gold. Mogulis cannot. I mean, yeah. it, it can with saves, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, when it happens, something big is probably going down. So I think it sort of lasts a more of an impression. And I think, you know, we'll definitely discuss that later on in the episode. So shall we just discuss Valamogulis first then? Yeah. Um, so you sort of had a way of sort of dividing up the Valors when we discussed this before, which was into offensive Valors defensive valors and passive valors um so do you want to give a quick definition of what they are 
Yeah, I mean, it's just sort of can go for any reset, but the brevity will talk about Valor. So the offensive one is when you're ahead and you think that the Valor is the last sort of nail in a coffin that you need to just push yourself to the win. So, you know, you're out ahead and you think this is going to do more harm to my opponent than me. And that will just allow him to close out the game. And the defensive one is, oh, my opponent's sort of ahead of me, possibly going to close out the game, and I need to create space to get back in it. And so you have to defensively Valor. And then the passive one is kind of just in here for completeness and probably won't come up most of the time you're thinking about this, but it's the least worst of your plots to play left and you use it then and the opportunity cost of losing the other plots means that you should Valor now. Yeah, and also there might, like when you say it's the least worst of the remaining plots, that might be because you have one remaining plot. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> and um, then, then if it's your only plot, you probably should Valor. I think we can agree with that. Yeah, probably. And I think that's probably better than being DQ'd. Yeah. So when do you offensively Valor? You know, start at the beginning... Like I said, this is when you're sort of slightly behind and you want to catch up. So you're probably going to be ahead on board for this to work. Mm-hmm. Or at least ahead in like number of cards you have in hand so that you have more cards in hand than your opponent so that your recovery from the Valor will be more effective than theirs. Yeah. For me, I think an offensive Valor can best be defined as... Like, I don't necessarily care what it looks like on the board once I Valor, but when we're choosing plots next round, I want my board to be significantly better than theirs. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And I think a lot of things kind of feed into how you make this decision. So as I was saying earlier, I think one of the most obvious ways to equate how you'll be best in that position will be number of cards in hand, and you should really be constantly asking your opponent how many cards they have in hand and think about how many cards you have in hand. Hmm. Because once you've valid, that's the sort of resources you have left to then play out. And if they've got no cards in hand and you've got five, the likelihood is whatever they top deck is going to be worse than whatever you've got in your hand. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think you mentioned resources there. Yeah. Another aspect to this is it's not just about how much you've each got in hand, but how much you can play out. So yes. it might even be that your opponent has... I don't know, five or six cards in hand. But if they don't have any economy on the board, and if they've just, for instance, played an economy plot the previous round, so you're relatively sure that they won't be able to just flip a, you know, a trade routes or a late summer feast or whatever, then that can be a good time to Valor as well. Yeah, and assessing someone's backboard is definitely what you kind of need to do. But and obviously the last sort of bit you have left is their characters. And the easiest way to sort of guess this, uh, assess this one is if you've got more saves than them apparent on board, then you're more likely to be ahead. You know, if all your guys are dupes and none of their guys are, then it's very likely that you'll still be ahead on board. Yeah, this is, a, the next this is a very crude guide, but yeah. one way of sort of like helping to judge this is based off known information to you, like add up the cost of everything that will remain on, in play on both sides of the table, and if yours is higher, then it's probably a good time to do an offensive Valor. 
Yeah, definitely. So that can be, obviously, you know, if you've got saves, and as far as you know, they don't, and they, as far as you know, they don't have cancels for your saves, then you can factor in the cost of your characters. Otherwise, if you think it's just going to be something that cleanly wipes the board, you can factor in the back rows more and sort of be like, well, we're both going to lose all our characters, but I've got, you know, eight gold worth of locations in play. They've only got three gold worth of locations in play. So the board will look in my favour. Yeah, I think that's a good mental shortcut. Yeah. Obviously, you don't want to stick to it too much. Um, no, but it's probably pretty helpful. Yeah. And I think the other thing you've got to be aware of about going to that next spot is also having the zero claim on Valamor Ghoulis. Yes. You know, you can't then impact the board state particularly effectively once you play Javala. Yeah. And this, yeah. it then comes into evaluating the effects of your cards. So, for example, if you're a Targ player and you're unsure whether you want to Valor or not, probably you'll be able to impact that round more if you've got Drogon duped than if you've got Drogo duped, because Drogon's minus four strength kill to strength zero effect is still going to work even with zero claim. Whereas Drogo letting you do two military challenges, it doesn't matter how many military challenges you do with the claims zero. Yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously you get your renown and stuff, but... Yeah, but I mean in terms of, as you say, impacting the board. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, with zero initiative, you've got to be prepared to lose initiative that turn as well and still be able to kind of keep your position ahead. Yeah. Sometimes the initiative can dictate who then comes out ahead on that turn. Yeah, and then lastly, while we're looking at the numbers, the five reserve can also be important. Yeah. I guess maybe not so much for offensive ballots, actually. We might want to discuss that more on defensive, because... Offensively, once you've valid, you're then looking to seize control of the board more than keep cards back in hand. Yeah. And then, ultimately, so sort of second half of um, Matt's question, if you valid now offensively, are you just going to get valid back and then be in a worse position? Yes. Yeah, you might have saved all your guys, but and they haven't saved any of theirs, but next turn, likelihood is they're just going to value you and you're going to lose all your guys. And unless you've won that on that Valor turn, which, as I said, is quite difficult, you know, your offensive Valor is kind of meaningless. Yeah, you kind of, like, it can be okay to offensive Valor, even if you know they're going to Valor next turn, as long as you make sure that, like, their Valor has to be a defensive Valor. Yeah. And you have a plot, like, perhaps more importantly, that you have a plot to counter their defensive valor. So, like, for example, obviously I've been playing a lot of Stark Fealty lately. I was very happy to play my Valor Morghulis and, like, put leave myself open to the opponent's Valor Morghulis because I also had Return to the Fields in my plot deck. So if I could Valor to, put, to make it so that they had to Valor, and then I could play Return to the Fields to have a bunch of gold and draw with the board, like, thoroughly wiped... At that point, I could then utilise the efficiency of my deck to make sure I got ahead and stayed ahead. Yeah, and then that's the kind of plays you kind of want to be making and predicting your opponent's valour. And the other part of that, like you said, sort of hinting at, is baiting out their valour. And I think, you know, when you're looking, when your opponent's going to valour, you might want to set things down so that they try and offensively valour, but they sort of walk straight into your plan and you go, right, I know it's coming. I think 
a good example of this is probably with like Randall Tarley. If you put Randall Tarley on the board and do a couple of challenges with him, he puts so much pressure on your opponent, they kind of are forced to deal with him. Yeah. And a lot of decks for that is just going to be, they're going to have to Valor and kill him. And at that point, that's when you put out your sort of Renly and your Marge and whatever. Yeah. And then go to town. Yeah, I completely agree. And yeah, I think that was definitely one of the strengths of that Tyrell Wars deck that we both loved last yeah. year was its ability to throw out a character as like a sacrificial lamb to provoke their valor and then just be like, and now I can play my actual cards. Yeah. Here, here's a question that you have to answer. Otherwise I'm taking this game home and, you know, and that's definitely the play pattern you should kind of get into and force their reset knowing that your recovery from the reset is going to be much stronger, but you, and then you have to understand that's what your opponent is probably also doing. Yeah, this is the problem, is that we talk about when should you Valor and when should you expect your opponents to Valor. This is where I give the slightly contradictory advice, which is that you should expect your opponents to Valor at the same time that if you were them, you think it would be a good idea to Valor. But at the same time, you should try to Valor when your opponent doesn't expect it. Yeah, because if your opponent has an answer plot ready to go, they're, they're thinking about whether you should Valor the same way that you're thinking about whether you should Valor. And you just leave yourself open to being counterplayed the way you want to do to them. Yeah, and, you know, never underestimate your opponent. They're always just as good at the game as you are, if not better. That like That's the assumption you should be making. Not, I know I'm better than the game than this person, so they obviously won't think of this. Yeah. And then... Flowing from that, we could talk about defensively, Alamogulison then? Yeah, I think we've pretty thoroughly covered the offensive Valor there. Yeah. And, you know, so you want to be defensively Valoring when, you know, you're slightly behind in the game, but you're sort of in a position where you think just another turn will kind of buy me and get me back into either parity or ahead. And, you know, this might be that they're on 13 power turn two, but none of their stuff is duped in... If you value them, they'll lose 10 power off the board. And, you know, that's kind of a really obvious example. But, and it's the same kind of factors going into the offensive value. You kind of got to assess how strong your hand is versus their hand, how strong your backboard is versus their backboard, you know, and then whether the stats on Valor or Gulas will mean that actually they'll just be in the same position they were if I'd valid or not. Yeah. You know, you've got to, if you're defensively valoring, you've got to then survive another turn when you're behind again, but with no way of impacting the board with claim, with two gold, and like you said earlier, the five reserve, you've got to have sort of enough cards to then keep going. Yeah. I think, yeah, you don't want to get in a position where you Valor, and then they go, okay, and then put down another couple of guys, and then you can, you know, maybe get down one character, but probably they die to military claim. And then you've just... You've cleared the board, but now your opponent still has control. Yeah, exactly. Some, sometimes, to be fair, your opponent having one or two characters is still a good enough reason to Valor if they're that far ahead. But most of the time, if they're that far ahead, you're going to lose anyway. Yeah. I think this is sometimes when you've really got to judge the game quite the long term, because, as we were saying earlier, people play stuff to bait out your Valor, and you think... And then you're forced to play your Valor, but maybe you played it too early and you could have survived another turn and they would have tried to 
play out more guys thinking that you're not going to Valor and then you Valor after them. Yeah. I mentioned before you want to Valor when your opponent's not expecting it. That often will be one turn earlier than they're necessarily expecting you to, but sometimes it will be one turn later where you set yourself up to play Valor. They go, aha, and then you go, double aha, because you've not Valored and you've instead played Counting Coppers or whatever to... um to preserve the board one more round, and they've flipped their return to the fields, expecting to see Valor, not seen it, and now they don't have it anymore. Yeah, that is the same, you know, you think that I'm going to think I'm going to do this, so I'm going to think you're going to do that, so I won't do it, and, you know, it's this is the problem with this question is, how far ahead do you sort of outthink your opponent to Valor? And, you know, is that two steps, or is it three steps, or four steps, or... Is there so many steps that actually you should just do what you think you should have done originally? Yeah, there's definitely always the danger of getting into I know, you know, you know, I know. Yeah. So, you know, think about that, but also kind of don't get analysis paralysis because of it. Yeah, especially with defensive valors. Like often the reason it's a defensive valor is because you need to flip it to stay in the game. Yeah. And you don't want to not flip Valor because you're worried your opponent's going to play an answer plot. And then it turns out that they were playing the plot that locks them in to win the game, no matter whether you Valor or not. Yeah. And sometimes people aren't running answer plots, you know. And... Yeah. Yeah, it's worth looking at your opponent's like deck style and figuring out, are they likely to have a good answer? Yeah. And I think... Because Valor Mughulis is so impactful and you kind of like lose a lot of resources on it, it can be sometimes hard to pull the trigger when you should. And, you know, I've suffered from this and lost games because of it. You know, you think, oh, I could have, you know, it's not the turn of Valor, you know, next turn I'll be able to dupe this person and do this and then I'll Valor the turn after and then you've by that time you've lost and you're like, oh, if only I'd Valor that time. Don't sort of overthink it too much to then put you in a position where you're too worried about them countering it to Valor. Yeah, that sounds fair to me. And one other thing that I think is always worth considering, whether it's an offensive Valor or a defensive Valor, really, is like not just how many cards does the opponent have in hand, not just what resources do they have to play the cards out, but also what like potential threats do they have left in the deck. And this comes to a degree of just, you know, getting in reps, knowing what you're expecting from your opponent's decks and so on. But it's also just from seeing what they've already played. So to give an example from Worlds last year, uh, in the top 16, I was playing against a Greyjoy Crossing player. Uh, and round one, he put out all three of his Iron Islands Fishmongers, um, as well as, you know, Balon Greyjoy, one of the other bigs, and a save. And so I made a conscious decision that round to play Winter is Coming uh, on an Intrigue Challenge to reduce his hand and then Valor round two, which is quite an early Valor, but obviously against Greyjoy, if you leave it too long, they'll just have saves for days and it won't matter. And I knew he was going to be able to keep Balon Greyjoy, but I also knew that he just played out all of his one gold reducers. Um, and I knew from that that he wasn't realistically going to be able to get out more than a character or two the next round. And then the following turn, I was able to play March to the Wall and Ramsey Snow and wipe his Balon away. And I wouldn't have been able to 
push for it and take that risk if I hadn't seen all of his one-cost reducers already get played. And so it's stuff like that that can influence Valor. That's, it's not easy to think about that stuff all the time, but it can make a real difference to your win-loss records, I find. Yeah, I think that's sort of like a top-level play and that's something very hard to consider, you know. And it's worth looking through, you know, your opponent's discard and dead pile as well, you know, to make sure... Yeah, maybe a more, like, you know, standard example would be if you're playing against, I don't know, like, say you're playing against a Lannister deck and it's running all of the big characters and they've got out Cersei and Tywin and they've got a, quite a large hand, but they've got Cersei and Tywin in play. Now, you could Valor, but it's worth evaluating what they've got in the dead pile already. If they've already got Tyrion, if they've already got Gregor, if they've already got Jaime in the dead pile, then probably it doesn't really matter that they've got a large hand because, you know, other than maybe like the Hound at that point, there's not really much to be scared of that's left in reserve. Whereas if none of those characters are in the dead pile, then probably Valoring's a bad idea, even though they've, you know, even though you'd be killing Cersei and Tyrion because they're just going to play another big. Yeah. Definitely looking at the, the threats left in your opponent's deck is kind of that other factor that's kind of like that next sort of stage after the sort of easier to sort of grasp kind of things. Yeah. And that's a, you know, you need a deep knowledge of the card pool to make that assessment and your opponent and a good guess at what your opponent's deck is doing. Yeah. So I just go on to passives. Um, so sometimes you'll have nothing on your board, your opponent will have nothing on their board, and you think, and you haven't really got anything in hand to play, and maybe you just want to play your Valor Mogulus now, because you know that late game, you don't want to end up Valoring yourself after you've kind of recovered a bit. And I think this kind of goes really with attrition decks. Like yeah. Attrition decks can be really slow, and once you've got nothing on the board and they've not got anything on the board, they're not really going to close out so you might as well use your Valor now to then sort of let yourself, for the rest of the game, just have constructive plots. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to be stuck against an attrition deck going into plot six and seven with Valor as still one of your plots. Because yeah. then you're stuck between a rock and a hard place of, do you pin the Valor or do you Valor yourself now that there's a board state? Do you like, hand them the game in order to have your own Valor later on or do you just try and close quickly and... The answer is almost always that it goes poorly for you. Yeah. So I think, you know, this is kind of just there for these kind of like niche cases. And it's just sometimes you don't need your valor. You know, you, sometimes it's, some games you don't need your reset because it's not really going to affect your get, opponent's game plan. And you're just in a position where the rest of your plots are just more useful to you than your reset. Yeah. It's also true if you're, if you're the one playing the attrition deck that sometimes if the opponent, like, you know, if you've got a handle on your opponent's board, then it can be worth getting the Valor out of the way earlier because that enables you to then move on to your, you know, your game plan of the bit where you actually take control of the board. You don't want to be stuck wasting your second march to the wall on an empty board and then not being able to actually use the gold to play things out because you've still got your Valor that you know is coming in a round or two. Yeah. So, I mean, I haven't really got much else to say on it then. Yeah, just be mindful of this as a concept. Yeah. Okay, shall we move from 
all men must die to all men must work? Yep. Okay. But, um, so we talk about the attacking and defensive valours for Mogulis. I think for Deheris, it's a lot easier to have a defensive valour, but a lot tougher to have an attacking valour. So do you want to um, lead with the offensive one? Yeah. I think, like you said, the offensive valour with the valour Deheris, because it's a lot lower impact, right? You know, it doesn't really affect your opponent's deck. And, you know, you board, they're still going to have a board that's, you know, significant. 10 gold is not nothing still quite a board presence so what you're really doing is just slimming down the board enough for you to deal with and this kind of works best in decks that really like small boards like Greyjoy and Oppose with its stealth is a lot more impactful against a small board than it is against a huge 10 person wide board and the same goes for kind of aggro decks as well you know putting something to the sword is a lot more important you know and your military claim is a lot more important when they have four guys than when it they have, you know, 20. Yeah. <laughs> and so sometimes you just want to kind of slim their board down to a position where you can then you know, put your dex game plan in place. Yeah. But, and similarly you know, for control decks, it's true as well. So, you know, if you're playing icon removal and you have two power icon removal cards, if they've only got two power icons in play, that's going to do a lot more than if they've got five. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's how you use Valor de Harris offensively. And I think you said it's harder to use offensively, but in some ways, because you still have the four gold, the five initiative and the one claim, you can still impact the board a lot more on that turn that you play it. Yeah, I think it's... I think I, the distinction I make is that Morgulis is great for the effect of Morgulis being offensive. Whereas Deheris is great for setting you up for other cards. Like Deheris by itself isn't offensive, but Deheris coupled with a put to the sword, coupled with a Drogon, coupled with a Cal Drogo, that's when it actually can be leveraged. Yeah. And maybe you should be kind of putting Deheris into your sort of aggressive decks as well as Magulis. Yeah. And you just play around it yourself. You'll play the Deheris. They'll expect you to not have another reset. And then you play your Magulis. And I think at that point, they're probably lost. Yeah. This is actually a very important thing going back to the talking about when, you know, wanting to Valor when your opponent doesn't expect it. One of the best ways to make them no longer expect Valor Magulis is on the turn where it makes sense for you to reset, only playing Deheris. Or even yeah. sometimes the reverse. Sometimes, you know, rarely, probably only when you're playing against an all-out big stick with saves, it can make sense to bait them into playing more um, of the big characters for you to Deheris away by first playing the Morgulis. But I think more commonly, it's going to be, oh, I only had the Deheris and I only got rid of one of your big characters and they're like, aha, and play a couple more out and that's when you can Valor. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, in the same way for the Morgulis... Same, you know, usual, count your cards in hand, look at your backboard, look at your cards on the board that will be left, and then make an assessment of which 10 you think they're going to keep, which 10 are you going to keep, and how that's going to play out into the next challenges phase. And I think in some ways the Harris is, you don't have to think as far ahead for the offensive one as the uh, Mugulis, because you've still got that challenge phase of that 
effectively does do something. You know, four gold, you can still probably play out something reasonable. Like I said, you've got claim. Yeah. Yeah, two more gold and claim is a huge difference. I yeah. guess the other way it's worth mentioning that you can be offensive with Deharis is if the maths just works out better for you than for them. Because obviously you're getting to keep characters of combined cost 10 or lower. Now, if you've got, you know, a six coster and multiple two costers, or, you know, even better if you've got some one costers, then you're going to be able to keep a much better and more impactful board than if the opponent has only got, you know, like a five coster and a couple of four costers out. Yeah. Yeah. The width of your board afterwards is significant. You know, if you do three challenges and they've only got two characters, you're going to win one of those challenges. Yeah. And this is especially true if you do have other attritional effects, like we mentioned, you know, with the put to the sword, or if you've got March to the Wall in your plot deck for next round and so on. Yeah. And so we should talk about defensive ones. Yeah. And I think this is where Deharis probably... Like, I don't want to say it shines compared to Morghulis, because Morghulis obviously does a much more thorough job if the reason why you're having to defensive valor is to eliminate a specific problem character. But in terms of defensive valors meaning parity, I mean, Deharis is parity. Yeah. You know, you'd, both of you just get end up with probably with 10 gold. You know, sometimes, like you said, some of you end up with nine or eight or something. But the likelihood is you only end up with the same amount of characters with the same amount of gold. But you've still got that. It might give you that breathing room then to play stuff out, especially with the four gold, the claim. You're not losing as much in that phase as a Mogulus would. But you get enough breathing room from the pressure to keep the game going a bit longer. Yeah. You know, because it's less impactful, it hurts you a lot less as well. And I think people kind of like to hair us because you think, oh, I'll be on parity and I'll still be able to do stuff. And, you know, when it first came out, everyone kind of switched because it was, I think, easier, you know, in many ways to make the decision with the Harris than it is for Mughulis because the backlash is so much worse, like so much harsher for you and Mughulis than it is for the Harris. Yeah, the stakes are lower with Deharis, both yeah. in a good way and a bad way. Yeah, and I think new players probably default to Deharis more just because of that. And it's not to say that Deharis is the reset for, like, with kiddie gloves on. Yeah, yeah, you're not, like, some trash-tier beginner noob for playing Deharis. But, you know, there definitely is... Part of its upside is that it is easier to play and it's easier to make that decision, I think. Yeah, I'd agree. And I mean, like, especially when we're talking about tournament decks, if you're planning on playing six games in a row with that deck, then having, like, as we mentioned at the start of this episode, it's basically, you know, valoring at the correct time and being valid at the correct time can decide the game. And having yeah. that decision be easier and lower stakes can be really advantageous because you only need to mess up Mogulis once over the course of a day and you know that can be you eliminated from the tournament with Deharis you know because obviously the ceiling is lower but the floor is higher it makes it so that you can mess up with Deharis and still win a game I think in a way that is a lot tougher to do with the Mogulis 
Yeah. And I think the counterplays against De Harris are probably harder. You know, uh, Return to the Fields versus De Harris, it's kind of fine. But, you know, having them on the bottom of your deck or in your discard, it's probably kind of equal. Obviously, you get the card draw and the gold, but... Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to shuffle your deck, you know, your card quality is kind of higher in your deck if you've lost, like, a key character. Yeah. There's also... um the initiative angle, because obviously Return to the Field still has a higher initiative than De Harris, yeah. but it's only by one, and if the De Harris player has a King's Road out, and the Return to the Fields player doesn't, then you know, that can potentially swing initiative. And certainly against other counterplots, like for example um, Compelled by the Faith, which is the um, move all power from characters onto their controller's faction card, that only has three initiative. So... That's a fantastic counter to Valon Wagulis, but a significantly less fantastic counter to Valor de Harris. Yeah. So I think the counterplots for it just aren't quite as strong. And, you know, how what plot do you play into someone's de Harris? If you think they're going to de Harris you, you probably just play a gold plot. You know, I don't think, oh, I'm going to be tricksy and play my March to the Wall. I mean, maybe that will work, but sometimes, but it really depends on the board at that point, in a way where yeah. Morghulis, it almost doesn't depend yeah. on the board. <laughs> you know, you play Morghulis into, uh, sorry, you play March the Wall into their Morghulis, and you're like, alright, oh, yep, get rid of my key character, and then you know, kill everything else, and you've kind of yeah, it's, outthought that ballot. It's the only note, noteworthy um, reset of that sort that March doesn't play nicely against, because like Marched into Wildfire is fantastic. Yeah. Marched into Valamorgulis, often, as you say, I, either it can be save your key character from dying or make sure that one of their saves doesn't count for anything. Yeah, exactly. And then, obviously, I think we'd be amiss if we didn't talk about the I'll play my De, De Harris when you're going to Valamorgulis me. Yes. You know, the best way to get around someone in Morgulis is to play your own De, Val De Harris and go, well, you're not killing all my guys. They're all going on the bottom. You know, I've won initiative. I've got more gold. I've got more claim this turn. You thought we were going to be back to equals, but actually, you know, you've not hurt the quality of my deck. Yeah. And it also, we mentioned before about how it can sometimes be a problem if you get sort of like a pile up of Valors. Yeah. Being able to say, well, not only have has your Valor Mogulis not been as effective, but I've got my reset out of the way as well. And now I have better tempo going into this round. Yeah, and I think the last thing to say is just about passive Valor de Harris, and in the same way that it's less impactful, it doesn't hurt you as much when you have to just play it instead of other stuff. Yeah, like we talked about the niche corner cases where you'd want to Mogulis rather than whatever your other plots are. I think they're a lot less niche with de Harris. Yeah, I think, you know, if you look at them and you go, yeah, I can close in the rest of these plots, but if I just play de Harris plot, say you're on plot four and you think, oh, if you played De Harris plot six and I'm not closed by then, it's going to hurt my tempo so much that I'll probably lose. That's when you kind of play it now and then you go, well, I still have tempo plot six. Yeah. Or if you're like, I don't want to play Counting Coppers this round because I think they might reset and I'll want more gold. Or, or I don't want to play You Win or You Die because I think that then next turn they'll be able to reset me. Or you know any other number of things where you've got a really good plot 
that you want to save one round. The hair is, is low impact enough that, like, unless you're just killing it on board position, you're never really going to be truly screwed over by it. No, and especially when you know you've got your plot deck, you're probably going to play around your, your own De Harris, hopefully. Yeah. You know, that's one thing we can't really um, address in this question, is playing around your own. Yes, if you know <laughs> that you've still got either one of the plots, or both of the plots in your plot deck, remember that when you're marshalling. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think with the attrition deck as well, that kind of, like, just De Harris them for that turn... When you know, it's not really going to do anything to either of you, but it's their game plan to have a clear board, and you should make sure that the rest of your plots can, you know, aren't clearing your own board. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that's when you should valor at all those times. Yeah, and those are also all the times you should expect your opponent to valor. Yeah, and you should also expect your opponent to valor when that's not true, because they're also trying to do it when it's unexpected. Exactly, and I think our listeners would take that advice to heart. Just, yeah. just violent whenever, really, because either, either it's correct or it's unexpected. Yeah, <laughs> but just don't value yourself. Yeah, of course. The other time you should valor is when it's randomly chosen for you from Bridge of Dream. Hmm. I think that's a key one that you should always focus on. I think you should do a whole question on that one yeah you should definitely also valor when your opponent chose valor with crows a tricksy bird the previous round mm. i think that's probably a sign we've run out of stuff <laughs> yeah i think hopefully we've not missed too much it's, like i said at the start of this episode it's the probably the most important decision you'll make each game and it is really complicated and there are there's always something to learn every time a valor happens and kind of take note of how it ended up for you either you did it offensively and it worked out well or it didn't and you know I think that's something a bit of knowledge that you should really sort of focus on if you want to get better yeah I completely agree with that um okay well thank you very much to Matt Slade for asking the question and thank you very much to Matt Herdman for helping me answer it no it's a lot of fun it's a really good one yeah and Thank you to you, the listeners, Uh, and until next episode, we'll see you soon.